Future trading involves risk and is not suitable for all investors. Content provided in this segment is meant for educational purposes and is not a solicitation to buy or sell commodities. Hello and welcome to Parlor to Plate, a weekly podcast from Everag Insights dedicated to offering listeners enlightening discussion and actionable intelligence about dairy markets. I'm your host, Phil Plord. We're excited to have you along. If you enjoy the show, please like us, subscribe, and tell a friend or two. First things first, let's timestamp this episode. It's about 1.10 p.m. Central Time on Wednesday, June 7th. Today, block cheddar was at $1.52, up about 7% from last week. Barrels are sitting at $1.65, up 10% versus a week ago. Butter, $2.36, down 4%. Turning to the grain markets, we have nearby corn at $6.05 per bushel, up 2% from last week. Soybeans are at $13.60, up 5%, and soybean meal, $404 per ton, up 3%. Let's turn to our all-star panel. We are excited today to have John Spainhauer, a fixture on our commercial desk, Matt Trannell, who works on producer risk management, and last but not least, Britt O'Connell, a leader of our Grain Foundations program. Hey guys, how are you today? Great. How are you today, Phil? Doing just fine, thank you. All right, as is the case every week, we'll start with what's the boss? What is making the most noise in the areas we cover? Why don't we start with you, Matt Trannell? What's the buzz? So the buzz in the dairy markets right now is uh, the markets are finally going higher. It seems like uh, an eternity since we've seen class three futures find some type of uh, movement higher. The last uh, 60 days or so have been very, very bearish. So a lot of dairymen are uh, smiling a little bit more in regards to that. However, they're also watching the feed markets continue higher as well. So from a margin standpoint, it might not be improving a ton, but at the very least, we're seeing some milk prices move in the right direction. If it's the right direction for producers, John, is it the wrong direction for commercials? I guess that's all in the eye of the beholder there, Phil. Um, in terms of the dairy markets in general, from the commercial perspective, I would say that Prices have moved significantly lower over the course of the last three months than I think what a lot of people would have expected them to do. If we were to say, what can we attribute to making that happen? I would say that a loss of exports, at least in the cheese market, is probably the biggest driver of that. You know, we, we tend to talk about exports as being contractual. And if we look at it, when we were probably in the contracting period for this time of year, you know, we were at a much higher price back in the fall and in the beginning of the year. We probably missed out on some exports simply because of the European price was so much lower than ours. As we fast forward in the time now, at least on the mozzarella side and the cheddar side as well, we can say that European mozz and cheddar right now are probably higher than the U.S. mozzarella and or cheddar price. And that opens the door to at least some exports, at least exports on a spot sale. I don't know if having a July to East cheese curve, you know, in the mid 180s is really going to help get those longer term contractual exports that we need in order for us to see a structural change in demand. At the same point in time, I would say that something that is unique about what we're experiencing right now is that for the first time in about three years, at least, we had some end users come to us uh, or, and, and some of the chatter has been surround, you know, 
coming around the idea that domestic demand seems to be backing off a little bit at the end user side of things. And you can't say that high prices necessarily, you know, at the commodity level is the issue because here we are on Cheddar at one of our lowest prices, or we reached a lowest price in the last few weeks than we've seen since the pandemic. But nevertheless, we are hearing people say, hey, domestic demand is slowing down a little bit. And that's right at the time where we're seeing export demand potentially pick up a little bit. Yeah, the April numbers for exports, I mean, they weren't terrible against the long run of history, 81 million pounds of cheese exports, but that was down from 92 million in the month of March. So, you know, it's not easy to find homes for 11 million pounds of cheese. And I think we suspect around here that the May export numbers were maybe even worse, right? I think that equals about 250-ish loads of cheese. Um, It feels like that's about how many loads of cheese we saw come to the CME during the month of April and and May probably saw just about that many, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, only 11 million pounds, but that's, you know, you got to get a lot of crackers to eat that much cheese, right? Domestically. Yeah, you bet. And that's the, uh, we saw, Phil, year to date, this is a record volume for the CME block barrel spot volume. Am I correct? Uh, Yes, sir. And uh, no coincidence in my estimation. All right, Britt. I have a sneaking suspicion that weather is on your mind. If you uh, didn't see the morning forecast run, uh, by looking at the grain markets today in the red, you can surmise what they were. And uh, a lot of the uh, weather runs had more rain in, in the forecast for a lot of the Corn Belt that's in desperate need of moisture right now. And so these grain markets and corn really specifically are living and dying based upon these forecasts. And so We'll continue to watch and see how weather impacts these markets. But if we see rain start to show up, it does feel like the funds want to be on the short side of this market. And they've been very measured in the covering of their short position. They're still short about 50,000 contracts or so, and they have not moved to the long side, which is a bit atypical. This time of year, generally, we do see weather premiums start to be built back into the market. And we have seen some of that come in. Uh, But it's been a pretty short stint, especially if rains start to show up. We may have already seen the the summertime highs. Yeah, I I drove um, from Madison, Wisconsin over towards Ames, Iowa yesterday. You know, we see a lot of cornfields. And, and, you know, I mean, stuff went in early. It went in, you know, the dry weather helped us get the crop planted fast. And it doesn't look terrible. But uh, none of these areas have received much rain at all over the past I don't know, two, three weeks, right? Yeah, it's been three, some sometimes four weeks in some areas. So it's it's starting to get to a critical stage. Generally, most agronomists will tell you that once this corn reaches about the seven leaf stage, it starts to determine the maximum ear girth. And so a lot of areas were kind of approaching that time frame where we could start to see whether have an impact on what that final yield potentially is. Later this week, we get a new WASDE report. Given the dry weather versus the early planting, do we see USDA making any dramatic changes to their yield estimates? The expectation is that they probably won't make any uh, changes and certainly no dramatic changes to the balance sheet on new crop, whether that be by way of demand or whether that be by way of yield. All eyes are really going to be tuned into that old crop balance sheet still. The expectation from the trade is that we could see a further trimming of corn demand as we've continued to struggle with lackluster demand on multiple fronts in the corn market. And so we'll see what they ultimately give us. But the general expectation is, is that we could grow this balance sheet by way of trimming demand further, which really means that we've got a larger carryover to bring into this new crop year. So that could have an impact on the new crop balance sheet as well. Let's turn to the center of the plate. 
A little different flavor this week. I love to talk about demand side issues and what we're seeing from the macroeconomic perspective and maybe you know some specific demand things in the grain and dairy space. Labor. Last week, we got a jobs report showed that uh, we added to payrolls, showed the unemployment rate ticking up a little bit, but wages going higher. John, I mean, when we're talking to our clients, I mean, I think most of our clients still need help, right? I mean, there is labor is still an issue on the processing side of the dairy industry? I would say absolutely. You know, there's been a lot of free-to-sell milk trading at discounts in the Midwest. And in, in old times, we would look at that and say, oh, wow, there's more milk out there for sale, you know, that, that's been contracted for. And, you know, that'd be a sign of milk production. Right now, you know, we've got milk premiums or discounts, if you will, that have been consistently trading at an average of about seven and a half and eight dollars under class. And when you look at that, you could say, well, somebody should be buying that and putting it into a plant and running product at eight under and selling it at par, right? That was the old school, you know, way of being in business during spring flush. When you go out and ask people, why aren't they doing that now? They'll say, well, I would, but I don't have the, you know, employees to help me do that. It's just that we don't have the labor to do that, or we've got a plant capacity issue. And that really seems to be a bottleneck that is still constraining output here in the dairy market. And Matt, I don't, I don't think dairy farmers have stumbled upon, you know, free labor either, right? I think there's still things are still tight on the farm. Yeah. I mean, things are still tight on the farm. I don't know that it's necessarily that they can't find enough people because generally speaking, when at your busiest time, you have some custom operators come in and, and such to take care of a lot of different tasks. But I think for the dairymen, it really comes into uh, how much they're paying in excess compared to what they previously were. Their labor bills across the board on an hourly and a total basis are significantly higher. And then Beyond that, if we're looking at any type of new project in regards to milking, more and more dairies are looking to more automated type systems to kind of get around that for the future. Britt, do we hear the same thing from row crop farmers about labor being an issue? How, how's it looking in your world? It's true in our space as well. And back to Matt's comment, ultimately wages have gone up for these skilled labor positions. And so we've seen that have an impact on kind of that net farm revenue aspect. I would say the one area where we've seen a little bit of an improvement is on the trucking side. A lot of our grain producers rely heavily on trucking to get their grain from point A to point B. They don't necessarily truck it all themselves. And we have seen the availability of trucks perk up here a little bit and rates have come down a little bit. So I think that's helped them some, but we certainly have an issue finding good skilled labor and uh, being able to pay them a fair wage. So it's really kind of ironic, or it's it's very intriguing when you look at the overall situation, because on the one hand, we have lots of job openings, we have relatively low unemployment, people need help, and then we're paying them more. So I mean, if in a vacuum, you say, well, that's, that's all just great stuff. But on the other hand, we have this tremendously inflationary environment. Wage inflation is part of it. We see food prices up 7 to 10% year over year. And wages actually are barely keeping up with inflation. So we have this kind of push and pull between rah-rah, great labor markets, but boo, I can't find the help I need, and inflation that continues to send interest rates higher. Interest rates, Britt, how does that factor into the average grain customer, you know, our, our grower customer's outlook? Well, I think what it, what it does is it has producers starting to look at moving grain quicker. You know, historically, guys will put a lot of grain in their you know, storage and put a lot of grain in grain bins and store it for 
the spring and summer months. But when you've got interest rates where they're at today, north of 8%, a lot of guys are really starting to look at some of these spot cash prices and being attracted to them. We've heard a lot of estimates of, depending on your operation, it costing anywhere from 8 to $0.10 cents a month to carry a bushel of corn or a bushel of soybeans forward. And with an inverted market on old crop and a very small carry market on new crop, that's something that's in the forefront of a lot of producers' minds. Now, I think we have to watch the carry that could develop in this corn market because if we do have a big crop, we will ultimately see those carry spreads widen and there could become some incentive. But there's going to have to be some pretty wide spreads to incentivize producers keep those bushels off the market to pay for that extra interest. Matt, what about on dairy farms? How, how do higher interest rates play there? Yeah, so I think it really kind of depends on what kind of debt we're talking about. So the short-term operating lines of credit, certainly putting a squeeze on dairies, especially given the lower milk prices that have come about here recently. If we're talking about like new projects, it's very dependent on where those are located. It's definitely keeping some folks from expanding in any way on the on, on the milk side. However, in milk sheds that had a very nice equity build, uh, specifically the Midwest and the Northeast last year, some of those dairies are going ahead with, with some of that cash they made and, and just plowing forward. And then if you talk about some of their long-term debt, most of that was already refinanced prior to COVID when interest rates were right around 3 to 4%. So it's really that short-term operating line of credit that is, is putting a squeeze on dairymen. John, back to some of the demand points you're making earlier about domestic demand. And we get the sense that people are sharpening their pencils and looking at their second half needs. My hunch is that they might be a little bit long on inventories from the first half. Do you think interest rates are playing a role in the decision to maybe procure less going forward because it costs a lot to carry any extra? Well, I think it has to, right? I mean, it's just adding into the cost. And if you become uncertain in some way about what your actual demand is, that just takes away from your desire to hold that inventory. I would also say, you know, we shameless plug here for the vault software, but we have strategic inventory models that we built. And within that, you can put in what your cost of carry is versus the physical load versus the futures that you might be able to sell against it. We've always disputed with people what exactly you should put in as the cost of carry. Some are cheaper, some are more expensive. But I can say that across the board, everyone in the last six months or so has said, I have to increase the carrying cost factor in my calculation. And the the higher that interest rate goes or the higher those carrying costs goes, the less I theoretically can pay for that physical inventory to make a cash and carry situation or carrying inventory in general work out. It's time for our last segment. Brad O'Connell, what are we doing to help clients in your world these days? So for anybody who's got to buy feed, we're telling them, get some short-term protection on because ultimately if this does turn into a full-fledged weather event, if we do see this drought persist, markets are going to be forced to move higher. So get some short-term coverage on and hope that this is short-term and short-lived. For producers, we've been encouraging them to sell into this rally. If you're nervous about it, you can always cover it with calls. But again, this is an environment that has a different feel than the last few years. And we definitely want to be more defensive of this market if you're a seller of grain. Matt Trannell, how about you? Yeah, so we're looking at this uh, twofold. So on the dairy end, we're looking at it from a feed perspective. Corn and soybean meal prices have fallen. We're looking at locking in some of those prices in the event that we would see drier weather continue to pop up. And then on the dairy end, we're just looking for different opportunities. Q3 fell 
very hard over the course of the last two months. We've seen two straight days of pretty nice rallies. We're up about 70 cents, I believe, in the last two days. We string a couple more of those days together, and we'll be looking at hedging those off and, and continuing that into the Q4 period as well as Q1, because there is still some pretty solid carry that dairymen can take advantage of. John, you've got the last word today. Yeah, you bet. I guess we're all looking out here from the commercial side. And Phil, I think you and I talked about it earlier that, you know, from a bullish standpoint, what feels bullish? Well, I guess low prices are going to cure low prices. Somewhere out here, we're probably likely to see a sustained rally in class three uh, or cheese, if you will, or are all the dairy products. And, and, and now it comes down to a matter of when is that going to happen? So we do want to make sure that we have protection on because that's always going to be a tough one to pinpoint. The hard part is that at least in class three, there is a huge premium in the class three futures as compared to the spot market. And that makes, you know, it, it gets that makes the idea of getting a substantial hedge on against the future a little queasy. It makes people feel a little queasy about that. So we look at it to say, though, maintain your optionality. You can get long and do it by buying calls. So you've got that upside coverage and you maintain that ability to participate in lower prices as a commercial in case the spot market doesn't move higher or if it takes longer for it to happen than what any of us might have in the forecast. Yeah, it's interesting. As uh, Jeff Mackey used to say on CNBC shows, we can make a jump but can we make it fly? Um, you know, that's something we're going to see in the, in the weeks ahead. All right, that's it for today's show. Thanks to our panelists, John, Matt, and Britt. Thanks, as always, to Paige Driscoll, our master media person, for making us all sound good. And thanks to you, our listeners. Once again, if you like the show, hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app. I invite you to check out our new online portal at insights.ever.ag. There you can find all of our publications and all of our shows like this one or From the Furrow, which Britt hosts every week, uh, the GDT podcast with John Spainhauer every other week, and other great media offerings. We're also celebrating June Dairy Month by offering a trial subscription to some of our publications. If you are interested, visit ever.ag. 